Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen, bots and cons to Tech Talk, the officially unofficial Transformers TCG podcast. I'm joined, as always, by Scott of VectorSigma.info, but as we've had in the past, we're, we're starting to develop a pattern here where we have a slightly more official presence. We're joined by both John and Drew from the Wizards of the Coast team. How are you guys doing? Hey, doing great here. We're all really excited to have you guys back on the show. Hey, thanks for having me back on the show. This is this is fantastic. I love talking to you guys. I love talking to the fans. Um, so, always a pleasure to be on your show. Thank you. We appreciate it. And again, we, we're definitely happy to have you. And we have, as always, a whole lot of things to cover, a whole lot of ground to cover. So, is there anything you wanted to start out with before we dive right into things? No, go ahead. It's been a busy, busy two weeks for Transformers trading card game. That it absolutely has. And that, that's kind of the perfect segue into the question. Scott and I had compiled a big list of things. and We kind of chopped it down to something a little more manageable, a little more bite-sized or at least more easily digestible. Because I'm sure if you guys listen to us before, we, we tend to go on and on. <laughs> Uh, you know, that's the, you know, I got to say, the in-depth questions are absolutely fantastic. And I love, I love the questions that you guys pose to us. Awesome. Well, Scott, unless you wanted to jump in with something immediately, I was hoping to take the first question. Yeah, go for it. But most of those in the beginning were yours anyway. So. Exactly. So <laughs> the very first one was about, well, the recently announced organized play initiative, at least that's what I'm going to call it for now. And then correct me if, if you want to call it something different, guys. So I mean, everybody everybody calls what we're organized play has a different concept of what is in their heads. From, from, of course. From our point of view, yeah, it's absolutely the beginning of organized play for the Transformers trading card game. So the beginning of it is really where I wanted to focus this question. So obviously, as you said, people always have a different idea in their head. What does organized play mean to me or my play group or my local geographical area or whatever? But there has been a consistent request across the board, even from way back when at Gen Con last year, about, well, what are they going to do? How is it going to look? What, how are we going to get involved? Is there going to be this? Is there going to be that? Was this something that you guys had had on the roadmap all along and it was just kind of, you were looking for the right moment to spring it on us? Or was it a combination or, or sparked by the clamoring from the community to say, there was, there's this much interest, we got to do something? So I think that it's, it's, it's in some ways a combination of both those things. We had never ruled out the possibility of organized play um, or in-store support. Um, that was I, I've been trying to make that clear since the get-go. Right. So, while simultaneously saying that we wanted to make sure that we didn't give the impression that it was an overly competitive game while we were starting out with our first couple of sets. Of course. But then I would, I would say that the evaluating the player base's reaction and where they were and what the, what the players wants and needs are and there have to, to be fair we recognize that there have been players who have been asking for this since the day we announced it but looking as at, at the player base and the different players that types of players that we serve with this game um this was the right time and right. the you know co making it coincide with um such a re big event for the transformers trading card game was a natural jumping on point for this and a starting point for this. So Absolutely. To, to answer your question was, it was always going to be somewhere once we had gotten through the initial period and sort of established in the minds of players, particularly Transformers fans who may not have been tabletop gamers, what this game was, that we would we would ease into um, a more more organized play. And we always, one thing that we always knew, no matter where it was going to fall in the timeline, 
is that we would start with in-store support. Of course, that's the the logical place as it's well, you you have mentioned it's kind of the jumping on point for a lot of people, especially if they aren't coming from the card game background first. You got to go to a store and say, hey, there's other people that play this game and then let's get together and play and then let's do it in an organized fashion. And it's funny how that kind of comes together. Exactly. <laughs> there, there is a natural progression for a lot of players who are new to a game. They, they pick up a few packs or they pick up a starter deck in a few packs or Metroplex deck or whatever. Yep. And they're playing it with the one person that they try out new games with. Or, you know, the, the, the very small group of people who they try out new games with. And then that naturally grows as people say, hey, this is for me, into reaching out into the sort of finding, you know, like looking for a community who's ready to embrace them. And local game stores are the core of that. They are the nexus for, for, for not, not just organized play, but, but community uh, that offering in-store play support to stores um, is an extension of building community. Absolutely. And that makes complete sense to me. Now, here's where I start to get a little greedy. And not to throw Scott under the bus, but I think he had a similar question to this end too. So obviously, we're all really excited about the fact that you have these promos coming out. There's going to be dedicated in-store support. Greedy question number one. Any other, any details you can give us about the other promos, those gold-plated ones that, or gold-foiled ones or anything like that, aside from what was in that initial release? Sure. So let me just run down what I can, what we can share right now. So sure. first, um, there's three of them. Ooh. Um, and there's, there's three different character cards. They're all character cards. Um, there is one wave one character card, one wave two character card, and one wave three character card. And um, we chose those characters, which I'm not going to name right now. Oh, no. <laughs> characters that, looking at characters for Wave 1 and 2, uh, so Wave 2, it's not a combiner team member. I, I'm just going to say that right now. Fair. Um, <laughs> it, character car- cards that were um, common character cards that, were, that saw actual play on, in, in decks that were frequently played decks. I'm trying not to use the word common 30 times here. <laughs> understood, understood. Um, and then the third, the Wave 3 character card was one that we project would have use in, in decks in a, in a wide wide basis. Awesome. Then the gold foiling part is um, uh, it is a special process that we use in order to make cards look gold. Okay. <laughs> it's a, I, I can't talk to you about the, the sort of proprietary. Oh, process, of course, yeah. But people have seen this before because the process is similar to the Lunar New Year. Actually, it is the process for the Lunar New Year gold foil bumblebee. That was going to be my first question. Is that what but we're it, looking towards? It is not those. It is it is that process applied to different areas of the card. Gotcha. So we are not attempting to replicate the Golden Lagoon with this particular product. <laughs> okay, that that's fair. If you can't, to, oh, go ahead. We're sorry. Trying to super bling out the card, however. Awesome. So there's actually something else that we're doing with it, which is we are printing it on a different foil substrate. Which means so the foil substrate is the layer of a Transformers character card that holds the holographic foil. Okay. And, um, all of our character cards are printed on one particular type. And that gives it a certain refraction pattern of light. So what we can do is we can build in a different hologram into that substrate. So we've done that for these these cards. Impressive. So it, I guess another thing, it, 
if you can't tell us what they are, which characters they are, when would we get our first look at those? Is it gonna? Is everything under wraps, and we're not gonna find out until they hit the stores? Um, no, no, we're gonna we're gonna announce that beforehand. Okay, cool. Um, uh, and uh, right now, we're not gonna announce it because we're talking about characters from War for Cybertron Siege One. Fair, <laughs> completely fair. Uh, so the second greedy part of the question, I know I got a bunch of sub questions in there and cheated a little bit, but. Circling back to the the general OP idea, and again, like I said, to to pull Scott in a little bit, we had talked about this offline as well, and he had it in his initial list as we were reviewing what we wanted to talk to you guys about. Moving towards the larger conventions, obviously we're starting at the local store level, getting people in on the, the grassroots slash ground level. Is there an overarching plan that you can tell us about that would be for, say, the origins, the Gen Cons, the future Paxes of the world? So it's funny that you, you asked me that question today. So we are absolutely supporting convention play. It's an important, like, and then convention play. And convention play is where you go to, you know, you, you test out your deck and construct it at your local local game store and, and earn promos for participating. And then you you... You know, naturally, there's no like qualification process. You should you you right. You go to a convention, and that's where you can you can play in in a larger style tournament. Um, so you should see something from us relatively soon about which conventions we're going to be attending in 2019. Awesome, because uh, I know <laughs> my wife and I. It's our family vacation. Really, is to go to Gen Con every year, and any any extra chance that I'm going to have to play transformers whether it's there or otherwise i'm looking forward to it so i i will say this i am looking forward to saying hi to you in person at gentile awesome <laughs> you'll be able to find me because i'm gonna be wearing this i am optimus prime my <laughs> oh, god <laughs> I, I drive everyone else on the vector sigma team insane with this mask and probably some of the people who watch youtube too so uh I'll the tournaments no lie oh yeah i wear it i wear it so uh, I'll probably be wearing it at Gen Con at least until, you know, I got to take it off because after a while it does kind of get, you know, a little heavy even though it's kind of light. But anyway, I'm digressing that, about... Is, <laughs> what is that, that? recently released um, Optimus Prime mask from, the ha from Hasbro? This, this is a Hasbro one. This is actually the Transformers Prime one from okay. the Transformers Prime TV show. And I have the movie one also, but to be perfectly honest, that one weighs like five or six pounds so it's like wearing my old football helmet around all day yep, yep. and uh that, is, that one is gigantic yeah so this one's a lot easier and it's definitely a lot more comfortable to wear for a lot of these shows and obviously if i'm gonna wear it to a convention so <laughs> uh right, but yes well, it is the official one cool that's awesome yeah i have a lot of <laughs> and i've been trying to work their way into a lot of the articles pictures of all my various transformers memorabilia and toys but <laughs> We could probably digress on that for a while. So I actually wanted to hand it to, to Scott because one of the other things we wanted to pick your brains about was what the meta looks like with Wave 2. So Scott, I, this one was kind of yours. Let me hand that over to you. Yeah, before we segue, most of our questions are obviously around uh, Siege War for Cybertron. But um, I did mm -hmm. have a, a question about where um, the Wave 2 Rise of the Combiners metagame is and, and, and where you've seen results out, out of... Uh, out of some stuff that's been reported and I'm sure you're paying attention to. I was just wondering if it was shaping up the way you and the team expected it to, or if you've seen things that were 
you know, unexpected? Or, and do you feel that like the right strategies have been seeing players or are there things being missed, et cetera? So, um, you know, there, there is, there was something that surprised all of us. And this goes back to Metroplex also, which is, you know, he's part of the wave two meta because, you know, he has an upgraded deck with wave two cards is that it seems like there were more players than we expected who immediately discounted combiners and Metroplex as viable um, competitive decks because they had an, you know, an interesting non-standard card look and feel. And uh, I am very pleased that two things have happened. One, that people have been doing uh, successful with the Metroplex uh, upgrade deck upgraded to the Wave, point, wave 2 uh, list. Um, that has been really gratifying because we knew that that would happen, that it was a competitive deck um, when built correctly. And I am very happy to see that when we look at combiners, that folks are say, are looking, um, are, are saying, oh, I, I didn't realize that this combiner team, which I thought was going to be terrible, was actually really good. I just had to learn how to play it. Um, Optimus Maximus comes comes in mind. Right. Um, and we, we knew that Optimus Maximus was an extremely versatile and very, very good meta deck, particularly in situations where you wanted to have something that was a little bit more flexible and could respond to, you know, have a little lower overall power, but better responsiveness to whatever you happen to be playing against. And we, we, we actually kind of designed it that way. Um, and people have been, you know, one, one of the things that was most happy generating for me was when I started people, see people saying, hey, you know, maybe I'm just going to run one Enigma because I can play this as a, as a control deck. And then if I happen to get to a point where I, you know, I need to, to combine into, op, into Maximus and then, you know, to finish the game, I can do that as an option. That was, that was awesome. Um, I think Predaking has been, respond, been playing pretty much how we expected it to play. Um, uh, the aerial bots, uh, people discovering the aerial bots kind of ability to... to I, manipulate how damage gets applied to the individual characters uh, is is awesome and I'm happy to see people you know playing it the, that way that we definitely built into it um, uh, with regard to Volcanicus and the Dinobots we went in eyes open and indeed um, enable purposefully enabling the fact that you could build Dinobots a number of ways including not caring about building Volcanicus in the least um, and that's pretty cool. I have yet to see a video of someone double volcanicusing, but man, I really, really want to. <laughs> It'll happen eventually. Somebody's going to catch it on tape. I, I, I've heard that it happened once. I mean, it's a pretty rare event, right? Of course. Because your opponent has to not be doing anything. You might um, need a little help from your opponent. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so yeah. So from, from, in terms of combiners, I think, I think that people growing into the, the, the combiner gameplay has been been really gratifying. And then, you know, we saw this right from the get-go with, with Rise of the Combiners. The non-combiner aspects of the set were pretty well taken. People started integrating them very nicely from the beginning. So now that we've gotten that combo deck out of the way... Um, right. <laughs> right. <laughs> uh, yep. Uh, I'm, pretty, I'm pretty happy with where the metagame is uh, in Wave 2.
Good. What do you guys think? I mean, I know you've said it on other videos, but right. So <laughs> we we did a whole article series on basically mistakes we made going forward, <laughs> and I mean, for me, like you said, the combiner thing was number one for me, and I think honestly, and this is carried over to a lot of my evaluations of the cards that I've seen so far for Siege is just it, your natural inclination in any card game is to compare a character or a creature or whatever, a card that exists to ones that already, new ones that to ones that already exist. And doing things like comparing a five-star cost to a Flame War or an RC or, or a Kickback or something like that was just the natural inclination. And it, it was... It's the nature of how the deck plays out that gives the characters the power more than it is anything about them individually, even though some of them are individually powerful. Um, so it was that it was that misevaluation of the entire process as opposed to like the entire deck coming together as opposed to just the individual pieces uh, that was the issue. And I think honestly, this is probably one of the first times that I actually like we I don't know we spent hours upon hours on podcasts like evaluating cards one by one instead of looking at the set or the teams as a whole and how they play out and i think that's where probably some of the mistakes came in for me you know i I, first i just want to point out that um writing the article the way you did where you said hey i'm gonna go back and look at the things that i said my predictions and got some predictions wrong a lot of chutzpah and man, I really respect you, you, you and the team for doing that. Thanks. That's that's not a super common thing in game reviews, and so we all noticed it here. And uh, I think every single person on the Transformers team read that article. Well, thanks. Yeah, that <laughs> I'm not sure what else to say <laughs> other than wow, like, that <laughs> that means a lot. <laughs> um, and then secondly, uh, uh, yeah, we posted it to the team. We have we have a you know. Like when companies we use teams and we have a sure. channel for stuff like this. We got posted there and pinned. Um, so the the other thing that I'll say is that yeah, Transformers since it doesn't have a resource system, and stars are not a resource system. They are a build cost, and those are very different. Right. It is a lot more difficult to make granular as uh, comparisons because build costs are very different than than resource costs when it comes to evaluating power level. And a lot of other trading card games like Magic or Kaijudo, just to name two that I've I've worked on at Wizards, have that resource cost. And it serves as a baseline that everybody can understand over time what, you know, what a five mana blue card, water card is in Kaijudo or what a, you know, three colorless, two red card is in Magic. And so I I understand that it it is a little bit more difficult to to, to make those evaluations in, in Transformers. But as more and more cards are released, I think that it'll be a little bit easier. Well, like I think Scott had an article this week, uh, Scott Van Essen, um, on the when they revealed the black color from Siege, where he talked about, uh, like, you know, the number that should be on a card is not two, it's not three, it should be somewhere like 2.3. And, and, like, that's similar to math that I found in evaluating the card. So, like, that's spot on that it's it's really without that resource curve um it's it's an in-between thing so you have to find out like where things lie on that curve right and if you look at a lot of the game mechanics that we've created that have the ability to be granular at a at a a digit level 
Um, that is how we are helping to keep cards in balance with their build cost, with their star cost. Um, and uh, I mean, Scott Smith said it better, and I'd, I'd encourage every, every listener to go take a look at Scott's article. But yes, that is that is a pretty central part of how we design characters in this game. Yeah, that was great. That was a great look at the, at the inside. So I'm going to advert give give some props, but you'll be seeing more of uh, Mr. Van Essen because um, Scott and Ken Nagel will be writing articles on a weekly basis for uh, at least the next few weeks um, as we move through the spoiler season for War for Cybertron Siege 1. Sweet. Yeah, that's really exciting. And it is, we've said it both here and in other media, and I know a number of other content creators and other fans have said the same thing. It's always great to hear from the team directly and seeing their insights about whether it, whatever the topic, whether it's new reveals or it's the design philosophy or other things that are going on, it's great to peek behind the curtain. Um, yeah, it's it's something that's pretty important to us. Uh, one of the things that we value is being as transparent as we can without giving away company secrets, of course, or spoiling things for for players. Uh, so you know, uh, it, it, it's just core to our philosophy. Perfect. So moving from there, uh, unless there was anything, I don't want to cut anybody off from that. <laughs> no, no, that was um, that was a good wrap of wave two. I thought so. Exactly. So I guess from there we can kind of segue into the new stuff, the new exciting stuff that has been <laughs> knocking on our door and soon to be showing up. Well, soon being relative, I know I'm counting down the days and the hours myself because I'm excited to get new toys. But speaking about, of course. The new set Siege. One of my questions. Oh, Siege One. Siege One. Yes, that was actually where I where my question was going. You beat me to it. So, I uh, tell us a little bit about Siege One and how. Why is it Siege One? So we've been working on Siege War for Cybertron Siege as a a program with Hasbro for a long time. Okay. Um, uh, almost as long as we've been working on the trading card game itself. Wow. And I just want to. You know, I've said this in a couple other places, but I just want to give a quick shout out to um, some of our our key collaborators over on the Transformers team on the creative end. Uh, John Warden on the toy end has been a fantastic partner. Chris Nadeau on art and Matt Clark on writing. And um, we worked with them pretty intensely on this uh, two set uh, program for, for the trading card game. Uh, and one of the things that we, we found out pretty early is that everybody wanted to take into take advantage of one of the key strengths of the trading card game as a medium, which was to print a lot of characters. So, um, you know, we we knew the full line of Siege toys, and we could pray we could kind of cram it into one set, but that wouldn't let us show other parts of the war for Cybertron. Uh, as represented in Siege, the first part of the trilogy. Um, so we worked with that team to show and expand out the character roster so that we were showing what was happening with other characters who are participating in these final battles on Cybertron um, but weren't represented in the toy line. And uh, uh, that meant that there was enough content that we needed to do it as two booster sets. So we did. That also helped with the timing of when we were releasing toys, and it helped with some thematic things. 
and there was just enough content, in ter- particularly in terms of characters, that we needed. It, it impelled us to do two sets. So we split it: War for Cybertron Siege One and War for Cybertron Siege Two. Um, and uh, I'm very excited. I'm, I'm, I'm trying to check myself right now and not giving you too much. Food, <laughs> which that, is why that pause happens. That's allowed. No. Fair. That's allowed. Uh, but I, go ahead. But I will say that um, things get de- desperate in the last days of the war. Ooh, <laughs> we're gonna have to keep our eyes peeled for what's going on then. So let me ask you this as a follow-up, Drew. So once Siege One and Siege Two are in our hands, and we're looking towards whatever the future thing is, yep. Are we expecting that this sort of model is what we're going to see long term? So I would say. Um, it's going to be a fun mix of throwback theme sets and products okay. and products that tie into the current generation's storyline. Okay. Makes so sense. We're going we're gonna to alternate effectively. And that may not literally be throwback, modern, throwback, modern. It, it's going to be based on what's best for the cadence of the brand as a whole, as Transformers brand as a whole, what's best for the TCG, because, you know, we want to introduce... There, there are key things in, in the in the history of Transformers that we do want to get into the trading card game. So we're going to evaluate both of those things in par- in, as they intersect with one another and figure out a cadence as an ongoing basis. But it's, I, I would say that it may not necessarily be a pattern that you can predict. Sounds good to me. Sometimes it's good to have some surprises in there. Yep. <laughs> so, Scott, let me kick it back over to you because I know you had a bunch of questions about some of the new mechanics and the way some of the new characters are set up. Did you want to talk a little bit about Target Masters? Or ask a little uh, bit about yeah. Target Masters? <laughs> yeah, definitely. Um, so, the first question I have around them is basically the mechanic where they have to be KO'd before they become the weapon, was that tested in other ways and this was just the way that was the most, quote, fair or, or worked the best? And I assume you tested other ways of that happening. It did. The uh, Battle Masters went through a bunch of testing. Um, one of the obvious other ways we tested is they, they start in weapon mode and then fall off and become uh, when, when the character building them is KO'd. Um, we also tested more active flipping, um, so you could flip back and forth. Um, and there was definitely a, we, an issue where we needed to find the right power level for this. Because A, they cost you stars, um, and weapon sides are a little more fragile than bots generally. Right. Um, and so we, we needed to have a cadence for the game that felt really good. Um, and one of the things that we really liked very, very much about having them start in bot mode and then when they get KO'd turn into uh, uh, weapons is that it created really interesting opportunities for guiding the flow of attacks and for your opponent trying to resist the, the path that had been put in front of you. Like, for example, if I, on turn one, if I have a battle master, I'm likely to attack with him first. <laughs> yes. Yeah, that, that seemed to be the case. I would agree. <laughs> um, and that presents a whole interesting set of tactical options well, uh, in, for the defender, like, now things like, oh, maybe, uh, maybe I need to kill the other characters who can wield battle masters first. So maybe you run, you know, ways that you can get past a tapped character. 
um, and so on and so forth. Gotcha. And it, it made for a really, really fun and play, play environment. Sounds exciting. Where was the decision to make them, I guess you would say, smaller? Like on, I guess it makes sense if they're an upgrade that you wanted it to be the upgrade size card. I was just curious where that... So that, that, was, one of the, that was one of the very early decisions for the brand as a whole. Um, at around the same time where we... So we first real, decided to make characters big. And then after that, we decided to play around with size. And so pretty much simultaneously, we, we went to Titan-sized and uh, small character-sized. And we just didn't really talk about small character-sized until now. Gotcha. Because there's a lot of things that you can do with small characters. If you just look at all of the, the Transformers toys that physically have represent, been represented as pretty small toys. Right. Um, you've got Action Masters, Battle Masters, Target Masters, mi Minicons, Micro Masters, and then a whole bunch of other things that don't have as easy, easily defined categories. So there's there's plenty of things that we can do now that we've established this character size for in future releases. Makes sense. Um, then, I, then one thing I'll add there is what, what was an, an interesting innovation during the deciding that we were how we were going to arrive at two character cards per pack. Um, and uh, there were a lot of ways to get battle masters in, in players' hands uh, played around with. And one of the things that we ended up testing was when you have two characters per pack, one big and one small, it makes a limited super cool. I would imagine, um, yeah. Yeah, you get a lot more build options, a lot more flexible team, team building. Uh, so that really, that plus the additional value to that you get two character cards in, in one pack. Um, that really tipped it for us. Awesome. One uh, other size-related question that I had before uh, I hand it right back to Scott for some of the other things that he had had about Siege. Since there's now a precedent for promos that are, are I guess, alternate art, the alternate foiling, mm -hmm. has there been any consideration to alternate-sized promos? So, for example, Optimus Prime Battlefield Legend as a itty-bitty guy. Or no. the reverse, okay. No. That, <laughs> we, that is not something that we are going to contemplate uh, at this time. Understood. It was something that had come up in other conversations offline, so I was just curious if that was, you know, just from a visual aspect of having everything uniform. No, we're going to, we're going to, the, the size difference, uh, the distinctiveness of the Transformers trading card game on, on, when, it's, when you're looking at it on the tabletop is so important to us. Right. It's such a point of differentiation that we're going to keep the big character cards a very central portion of the game and, and not, I, I don't have any plans or I don't, we're not really talking about internally, you know, making sort of battle card sized versions of previously large characters. Gotcha. And it makes sense. That is something that I personally love about it as well. It, it, it feels cool that yeah. the characters are, are almost quite literally larger than life <laughs> just because yep. they're bigger than your battle deck. So yep. um, it's amazing what that, that, so in some ways, small difference does to the perception of the character. Exactly, just the the simple tactile difference can can make a huge difference in any given game like that. So uh, that would, like I said, I just wanted to interject with a, a quick thing there. So uh, Scott, one of the other things you had had was about some of the previews and the the strategic level that we're seeing. Do you want to take it away from there? Yeah. So so far, 
almost every single card that I've seen spoiled in some way, shape, or form just seems to really ramp up the the strategic level of the game to such an extent that it's almost unheard of. Like I feel like things you had to understand, learn, and adapt to in the first two sets are being like it's just to another level so far. Just in the few cards that I've even seen here. Um, the, the number of decisions that you need to make, the number of, especially the modal nature of the cards, that's right. like the number one thing I've seen. Like, I assume this was intentional, but I just wanted to see if you could expand on that at all and what your thoughts were. Yeah, it, it was definitely intentional. Um, you know, this goes back to starting a new TCG. And we could have and had actively considered putting many of the things that have been released in Wave 2 from a mechanical point of view, not combiners. Well, actually, yes, we thought about launching the game with combiners. Um, <laughs> well, uh, uh, A lot of the game mechanics, whether they are keyword abilities, brave and stealth, um, uh, we considered putting them into the first set. And I, I've been using this analogy in sort of defining a box. Um, the box can be too big in the beginning. Uh, the, the box contains the, the entire scope of the game. And we can put too much of it in, in, play, in new players' hands. And it doesn't even mean new to TCGs, just new to the, the game. Sure. Um, at one time. And we believe that to be act actively bad. And it's not just in terms of... of making future releases that are products that we need to sell to people it's in terms of information complexity and overload right like we want it is much more satisfying we have found through testing and practice um, to keep building a box that is slightly larger than the previous box so like oh i have wave one ah ha ha i know how this works after a few months of play i've got it or two weeks or whatever it is for that person and then we twist, oh, we put out a twist, a new mechanic, and the box gets bigger. And then you have to reevaluate all your other cards. And this is, this is something that was intentional because it keeps people refreshed on the game, and it keeps literally keeps the game metagame changing. Right. And that is one of the things that we think is most satisfying for trading card game players, as opposed to other games, is that there is a fairly constant rate of change. And getting into the flow of that rate of change is exciting. Saying, oh, you know, it's the discovery of the new, the new combination of cards that does something awesome. Awesome. That answer your question? I'm not sure I yeah. answered your question. No, no, definitely. I mean, it, it, it's, it's basically the fact that, like, this is the first time I think I've seen a lot of cards that give you options. So, like, we talked about... Uh, with the Battle Masters, how I, I think it's the first time I've seen where you can actually change the makeup of your battle deck because of the characters you have becoming weapons, or I assume there'll be other ones that are other upgrade types, because you will, at some point in the game, hopefully have that alternate mode in play, and so you don't want to give up that ability to have that and make it strategic, so... You don't want to have like some other insane weapon on your guy if you're going to get this even better one from the flow of the game. So I, I think it's the first time I've seen where the makeup of your battle deck 
is directly influenced by what is going on on the field as opposed to just more chances to draw it or optimizing the battle deck for your characters has always been a thing. But to me, this is the first time I've seen where the modal nature of the characters completely affects how you should build the 40 card deck. Um, I, I, think that, I think that this is a very obvious that, and that is something that we want to see developing over time. We want there to be, so like in wave one, with a few exceptions, Matrix of Leadership, for example, you could more or less play any battle deck with any group of characters, and it would work. It may not be optimized, but it would work. Right. right. And so that, that was to allow for the flexibility of the uncertain new world that people were, were suddenly thrust into with this game. They're like, yep, we didn't want people to accidentally be able to not play the game correctly. Suboptimally is a learning experience that you can improve on and will improve on with play and practice, but we didn't want there to be things that you could just critically get wrong. Gotcha. Unless like they were super things that you super overlooked, like not having Autobot leaders while having the metrics of leadership in your deck. Sure. And then in wave two, we ask players to think very, very carefully about groups of characters that they're playing through combiners. Like, they're teams, that's true. Um, but they also um, ask you to look at them first as teams and then in the reverse. Like, are these characters worthwhile in not in a Stunticon deck? Dead End, for example, is... Um, uh, God, did I just have a brain fart? Yellow race car. Dragstrip? Dragstrip. Dragstrip. I did have a brain fart. <laughs> Dragstrip has some interesting potential outside of the Stunticons, and there are many other characters that do. Right. Um, and so that was sort of the second level. And then here in wave three, in some ways, we're asking you to, in parallel, figure out your deck and your, um, and your team, as opposed to figuring out a team and then a deck, figuring out a couple of cards in action or battle, battle cards, and then figuring out characters that, that take advantage of them. Makes sense. I'm definitely looking forward to... to expanding and exploring that particular area because as scott was describing that every time i sit down and get a chance to actually think about even just the few previews that we've seen so far and then listening to what you were just describing and reading the things that are coming out from the team every time it's oh wow well what about this other bizarre scenario or maybe not even that it's bizarre it feels bizarre but it's probably going to become a very regular occurrence as we get these cards in our hands Yep, there's an interesting, um, today, uh, today we previewed um, an interesting character in that he has the ability to search for, at the beginning of the game, a particular equipment of your deck and, and equip it with it. That um, entire mechanic is, well, I, I said it on Twitter, but I love the flavor with this particular character, but right? in right. general, you, yeah, go ahead, sorry. All of them. All of them are flavor with. <laughs> Ooh, can, can you tell us at least how many there are like that? If you can't tell so, us who they are? There's sort of four. There's a sort. cycle of three character cards. You've seen um, Trailbreaker. Yes. And then um, Magnus uh, is basically the same mechanic, right. except it's different in the sense that the Magnus armor, uh, the Ultra Magnus armor costs two stars. So it's a different calculation, but it's the same game. Gotcha. He is not one of the three things that we're talking about in the cycle. They they all they're all similar to, to Trailbreaker. 
Interesting. Yep. I'm excited to see what the other ones are. Now I'm going to have to, uh, for the umpteenth time, rewatch G1 and see what secret weapons may or may not have been there since they all had one. <laughs> I will tease. I will tease it. One one of them is definitely a, not yet appeared in the game, like Trailbreaker, been been quite requested by a, a sub segment of the population. <laughs> Ooh, okay. So we're gonna have a bunch of happy fans pretty soon then. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> that's definitely really exciting, man. I. I can't wait to see these. I, I really am pretty hyped for this. Not that I wasn't before. I'm always hyped to sit down and play Transformers or or think about them in general. But it, every, right, and, go ahead. And this goes this goes right back to what you were talking about about the second parallel, right? You have to evaluate: is Trailbreaker worth the ten stars by himself? If you're not playing Force Field, probably not. But there, that is a choice that you have when you're do, when you're building that deck, um, right? And if you know you're building using Trailbreaker at a force field, what does that el- what does that say about the rest of the deck that you're, you're going to building? Absolutely, yeah. That, it's definitely going to influence a number of decisions right from the word go. And uh, right. that that's exactly I'm I'm sure that's what you guys were intending, obviously. But that's something that I enjoy figuring that sort of thing out. It also means you are one fortieth more likely to draw any. Yes. <laughs> yes, very true. <laughs> I have to change all my modeling software now. Like, oh, no! <laughs> <laughs> yeah, some of those spreadsheets are going to have to work overtime now. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, Scott, any other details that you wanted to ask specifically about Siege uh, before we move on to anything else? I just had a question about the MicroMasters. Um, are they battle card size just because they're micro? I mean, they're still like a regular character, Pretty much. I mean, like they still have a bot side and all side. Are they just? Was it just like a way to yes fill out the number of characters and all that? Okay. Well, we, well, we looked at uh, we looked at all of the throughout all of Transformers toys things that represented that were represented by relatively tiny Transformers, and with the exception of the um, a G one line of small size characters who weren't really trying to, in any way, shape, or form, be, like, really tiny planes. Right. <laughs> it was the happenstance of that particular line of molds that were incorporated happened to be that scale. Um, so we did not include those uh, as small character cards, like Warpath. And I know we did the Generations Warp version of but if we had, if that generation's warpath hadn't existed, he full size guy. Gotcha. Um, but MicroMasters, because they are sub branded as tiny in modern generations uh, toy releases, they felt like a natural fit. Though. Sounds good. So we, I was dancing and kind of debating with myself, asking this one. Uh, it wasn't on the list that I had sent Scott, but I feel obligated. This is not approved. I'm, I'm putting it out yeah, So yeah, I'm, I'll I'll take sole sole responsibility for this one. Uh, you have mentioned before in multiple places to us as well as to other people that we are going to see the perennial favorite, including mine, of Soundwave. Can you confirm or deny if he's actually in this set, or are we going to have to wait a little longer? Uh, he is. He is actually in this set. Awesome. Um, he has partner characters, and they are small size. Awesome. I'm sure there's going to be a big reveal, and I doubt I'm getting any more than that out of you. Well, I'll give you one more thing. Ooh, okay. So in, the past, in the past, I've said, hey, we really need to do 
uh, Soundwave right. Mm -hmm. I, I always specifically said Soundwave and his minions, and we needed to be to to the right time to deploy. Haha, um, <laughs> uh, Soundwave, and one of those because we needed to to get the game mechanics right. And one of the things that I was sort of using coded language there is part of that is the small size card. So there could be the relative size difference between Soundwave and his minions. Makes sense. That absolutely makes sense. So uh, I apologize for pulling one out of the blue there, Scott, but I, I felt like it had to happen. <laughs> it's, it's fair. <laughs> I felt I felt like as soon as you said I have a question or however it was like, I'm going to get asked about Soundwave. I, I mean, it, it's one of those things, like, I, I'm sure you're going to get that same exact question a thousand more times until we see him. Because, yep. I mean, he's he's the man. Even my wife, I mean, she loves Bulkhead, but Soundwave is probably her number two. Because and I, <laughs> Bulkhead is number one. That's awesome. Um, Bulkhead is not in this set. Oh no! <laughs> uh, sorry, uh, but one thing I will remind uh, all of the fans listening is that um, I, I have said this before, and I am saying it again here: uh, the Soundwave in War for Cybertron Siege One is not the only Soundwave card that will be uh, released in 2019. Well, I'm telling you right now, I'm going to be playing some sort of Soundwave build. Whenever that other one materializes, I'll have additional builds. I'm already going to have probably like 100 with this one. I'm playing Soundwave. I don't care. <laughs> it doesn't matter. I'm definitely running him. Great. <laughs> so uh, anything else you wanted to touch on, Scott? Because there's a couple other things that are going to be releasing soon that I wanted to bring up as well. I just wanted to ask real quick quick about the the secret um, action mechanic and where that came from and what your experience with games that you may have worked on in the past that had similar mechanics. I'm not familiar with these types of things in this way. Most of the games I've, I've played in the past had interaction on both players' turns. Uh, so I was just wondering what your experience was and how, how it's played out in design. So it's a very cat and mouse game is the way I would put it. Um, the player who is running the secret actions, I, I, obviously we, I think we've revealed one secret action to, at this point. Yes. Yeah. Um, there are several secret actions in the game, enough that you can have a wide variety of secret action things that you are doing. Um, and I'm not talking about things that interact with them like, sound, like uh, Shockwave does. I'm talking about specifically the things that the secret action trigger off that, that causes them to reveal and, and on the opponent's turn. I got right. you. So you end up playing this cool, this cool cat and mouse game. The player who has the secret action is trying to figure out what is the thing that the opponent wants to be doing, and I have some secret actions, and I'm going to use my action play, or maybe you've got spy mission and you get you play two of them. Uh, what are the things that I need to uh, disrupt on my opponent's next turn? And the opponent, having seen those secret actions, is like, "What does he think I'm going to be doing? Uh, maybe I can bait that out. You know, maybe there are it's possible that there's you know if I can do this thing and trigger the secret action." And it'll stop that first thing. But what I really wanted to do was the follow-up thing. That's the you know same category, and I can actually get that through. That is uh, that is the kind of play that it, it leads to, and it, it is really cool. It adds a, a little bit more uncertainty into the overall meta game. Uh, in in that there are some deck styles that just want to do a thing, and. Uh, they can be interacted with because you can kill their characters and that may or may not stop them from doing the thing that they want to do. Uh, for example, combining. Um, right. 
and the secret actions make it just slightly more uh, slightly more uncertainty into the stability of decks that just want to, I'm just going to do my thing and it doesn't matter what you do, or it can. Gotcha. That, that's excellent because like that's exactly the type of game that 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 is one of these examples of just ramping up the strategic level of the game, in my opinion, to just a, a much higher extent. Yep. Um, I think you'll be excited once you see, once all secret actions are revealed. The, the variety that play style of, of counterplay that you have available to you. That's Great. encouraging. Yeah, I, the entire mechanic I had said to Scott and everybody who would listen basically offline when the first one was revealed that it really excited me just for the the new space that the game can move into as a result. So I'm very curious what those other triggers are going to be or how else those other ones are going to interact. Uh, you will see more soon. All right. <laughs> so, like I said, that kind of wraps up all of my questions. Scott, any other last ones aside from the secret actions? Uh, no, I mean, I hit all the points I wanted to hit, so thank you. Perfect. So, aside from that, there there are some other new products that are coming up that are also pretty exciting. Uh, can you tell us a little bit about the, the starter that's coming out, Drew? Sure. So um, our second starter set is Bumblebee versus Megatron. Release is on May 3rd. And there's, you know, the original plan for starter number two was to release at the same day and date as Rise of the Combiners. Okay. Um, and we got a lot of really uh, useful feedback about the Autobot starter set. And we had to make a hard decision. We always want to iterate and improve from product to product, but there were some obvious things that players were looking for in the starter set that weren't present in the Autobot starter set. And we made the, the tough decision to delay it by about two months, by starter two by two months, so we could implement those changes. Okay. Uh, first and foremost, uh, players wanted a uh, two things that converged into one. A lot of people said, "Where's where's Decepticons? Uh, this is yes. you know battling. Where where are Decepticons?" And then, secondly, there were a lot. There was a lot of feedback um, from people who were using the Autobot starter set to teach new players, like they knew how to play and they were using this as a tool, and they wanted more clarity, obvious clarity to the new player that they were teaching how how to break this down into half. Uh, I got you. Right, like Autobot, the Autobot Star Set can actually. Uh, one of the more common ways is one person gets Bumblebee and Ironhide, and the other person gets uh, Optimus and, and Red Alert. But there's a number of ways you can break it down. Um, so by go by changing it to a versus themed starter set, uh, that becomes very clear. One person plays Autobots, one person plays Decepticons. And if someone loves Decepticons, you just give them the Makes sense. So that was the first change. Uh, the second change was one um, that was a practical change, which was uh, we had, and still do, uh, a series of how-to-play videos that are available on TransformersTCG.com. Those are um, actually really entertaining. <laughs> thank you. Um, uh, John and I were just working on... on some of the new ones. Oh, oh uh, great! And while they are they are entertaining, there was there was a large enough body of people who said, 
hey, those are great, but I really also need a rules reference and something physical to read. Right. Excuse me. <clears throat> so the, the uh, Bubblebee versus Megatron starter includes rules insert. Um, that is a much clearer rules insert. It doesn't have the sort of like beginner rules and then advanced rules. It's the rules as to how you teach them. Gotcha. Um, so that was the second uh, improvement. The third improvement is a little bit more subtle. Um, uh, we played with a little bit of what was um, this is to, to make them at least somewhat interesting for people who already know how to play in build. They're not the world's most powerful characters because they're teach new people, so we don't junk them up with text. Right. That's a barrier to learning. But, you know, a five-star plane is de by default interesting at this point in the game. Yes, and for so sure. And then lastly, um, we listened to a retailers and distributors and price. So Bumblebee versus Megatron is $12.99 uh, instead of $14.99 for the first starter set. Interesting. All right. Wow. I hadn't, I hadn't even noticed that. Interesting. Um, so, yeah, we made, we made a bunch of changes, and we believe it's worth it because significant better team for the new player and the, the, the teacher. Great. I mean, we were talking about it earlier when we had started out with the organized play discussion and getting people in the door. And part of that is a useful or not that the old one was not useful, but and a new and improved, more useful tool in order to help teach people, help people understand and realize the breadth and depth and fun to be had with this particular game. So we're, we're entering a season where getting new stores, even more new stores, we're getting people, more new people even more. And it was the correct decision to make sure we had the best possible starter set from not just theory, but actual feedback from practice as we went into that season. So we delayed it for two months to make those changes. Well, based on what you're saying, it certainly sounds logical and appropriate. So definitely looking forward to it. I mean, for us, it as you said, the addition of certain characters in certain slots makes it interesting to us, but also is going to provide that other avenue of attack, for, for lack of a better way to put it, for getting people in. So that's definitely exciting and, and encouraging to hear about. Yeah, uh, we're really excited to see how that how that uh, that does for onboarding new folks. Awesome. Uh, that's a great gift. What was that? <laughs> makes a great gift. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that's for sure. Um so I guess that that kind of does it for us. Was there anything else that you guys wanted to make sure we touched on that we covered to get it out to everybody? No, I'm I'm good. Um, the uh, I guess the only other piece that I wanted to close up with, and we had mentioned it briefly at the beginning, but just as a reminder to everybody, if you're interested in any of the stuff we were talking about, there are deadlines to be met. Uh, I apologize off the top of my head. Drew, would you mind reiterating those? I don't. Remember what the sure, deadline so is for the stores. If you want your store, if you want your store to sign up for the in-store play kit, they must sign up by this coming Monday, the twenty-second. Um, that is the last day that a store can sign up to receive the kit and get it in time. So, for listeners out there who have been who have been looking to build a uh, community of Transformers players in the local game store, this local game store on board with that because they can go into order just tick the box send me a kit and they will get a kit delivered magically in the mail or it's into a place 
it's as good as magic, folks. Um, <laughs> so quick clarification there, Drew. So it's for this particular cycle. Obviously, if they sign up late, it's just they're going to miss this window, but they'll get in on the next one. No, every window you have to sign up for the for the new kit. So I gotcha. For example, Wave 4 will have also an in-store play with a different set of promo cards to support it and a different set of posters. Gotcha. Um, uh, and they'll have to sell, every store has to sign up for that. In a lot of ways, if you're a store, listen, a lot, in a lot of ways, it's just like how you sign up for Magic uh, Support. You go into WER, find the kit that you're looking for, and tick the box before the, uh, the release, the, the end date of that, of that program. Gotcha. Yeah, it's an important caveat there as somebody who's not on that side of things. That's why I wanted to clarify what, in case anybody was curious or needed to know yeah, sort of thing. I appreciate you saying that because we have been getting a bunch of questions and new to Magic TCGs mm -hmm. um, who are saying, hey, I would love to get an in-store play kit for myself. And I, we unfortunately have to say to those folks, I'm so sorry, you are not a store unto yourself. Right. <laughs> um, however, please go to your local store and ask them. Absolutely. Yeah. It, it's always good to support your local store when you have the opportunity. And this is a great excuse, I guess, to get other people to help supporting them as well. Indeed. So, And also for existing store, uh, some of the requirements are a little bit different uh, for becoming a WPN store. If you're not already one, um, our team has been letting stores sign up to become WPN stores without running magic events and things like that. So essentially a Transformers only store. Um, just important information to have. Right. Awesome. Well, uh, at the risk of being redundant, repetitive, uh, any other things that we want to make sure we cover, gentlemen? Uh, I thought we talked about a bunch of fun stuff. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Scott, anything on your side that you wanted to squeeze in last second question? No, as usual, I just appreciate the time and the, and the design and, and the openness and, you know, basically everything so thank you absolutely yeah thank you guys we really do appreciate you coming on the show again we definitely look forward to talking to you in the future uh i'll definitely have my mask with me when i try and see you guys at some conventions despite probably the chagrin that scott will have on his face um <laughs> but as always thank you guys for coming on well, that'll kind of do it for us so everyone out there in tv land thank you for listening thank you for watching and tune in next time for more random thoughts